it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's going to be a big hour coming your way with many, plenty of surprises, including uh, the newest non-Democrat and possibly Republican of the future, Tulsi Gabbard, will be with us. Uh, and, of course, the number to call, one 408 7669 or write me at com. Uh, a lot to discuss. The President of the United States is going to be heading out to the West Coast doing some fundraising. He's going to also stop in Colorado. Uh, he'll deliver remarks on protecting and conserving America's outdoor spaces Maybe he's going to try to secure that Senate seat because Michael Bennett's in, uh, really feeling the heat. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Look what I've gotten done. Name me a president in recent history that's gotten as much done as I have in the first two years. Not a joke. Uh, can you have any, any time? How many can we name? And what you've got done is not looked at as a plus by a lot of people. Let's say economists and people who care about foreign policy. President Biden speaks and sat down with CNN. He brought note cards. It lasted 15 minutes. Number two. As of this morning, there were 28 <clears throat> missiles, of which 20 were shot down, and shot down two terrorist cruise missiles with the help of Stinger man pads. One person saved dozens of lives. Thank you for that. Uh, President Zelensky weighing in in the Ukraine, talking to the G7, coming to a head. The free world stays united behind Ukraine as Vladimir Putin rockets urban centers while Zelensky needs what Zelensky needs and how Putin's in a circle perhaps is turning on him. Number one. From my perspective in the House, it suggests it's not a question of whether Republicans win, but how big McCarthy's uh, margin is in the end. In the Senate, that's still going to be tougher, and that's going to come down to some of the problems the Republicans created for themselves. Yeah, that is true. Uh, that is Kimberly Strassel, The Wall Street Journal, the midterms, race by race, issue by issue, what the uh, Fox power meter says and how Senate and House uh, should uh, be by Election Day. A lot can change in the last two weeks. By the way, you can always get the podcast uh, you just click on podcasts wherever you get them or foxnewspodcast.com. With me in studio, uh, one of the funniest guys in America, brand new movie out, Rob Schneider. Rob, I was able to grab you from Fox and Friends Thank and you. bring you up. And was it my persuasion? I had nowhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> that hurts my feelings. Here I, I am thinking I'm a great persuader. <laughs> of, no, of... I've, I've always enjoyed you, Brian, so it's, it's a pleasure. I feel like I know you, you know, because you're, how many hours do you do, do you do a day? Well, minimum six. Six hours. Yeah. And then you have fun afterwards. We got to get the Saturday show going. So one of the Saturday things, too, because now that you, I thought you were a fan. You don't know Saturdays <laughs> at eight o'clock, but you're in, you're in Arizona, so it's two hours different. Yeah, yeah. It's so two it's six hours. o'clock. That's dinner time. Sometimes for you I hear you on the tape delay. Sometimes I hear I get like I, I'll punch it in in the on the on the Tesla, and I go like, and it's like a month old, and I listen to it anyway. Why is that, Eric? Why is he putting on month-long podcasts? Yeah, Eric, what's know. going on with that? Yes, um, that's Eric right over there. He's a, a genius, and that's Pete. So, Rob, Good by the people way. people working for you. The other thing is, which I found unique, 
Yeah. As a comedian who's a, an actor, you dress up. I mean, you look like you look the part today. Thank you. You know when I put this on, it's so funny because I say, because I've got to work out for the new movie I'm doing. And I, and I told the tailor, a nice Italian guy, you know, Vito, I said, uh, hey, uh, don't uh, don't take it out because I'm going to lose weight. And he said, okay, but just in case you don't. I'm going I'm <laughs> to leave it that way, okay? A doubter. <laughs> a doubter right away. Can you? Can anyone believe in me? Is that what you're thinking, Ron? Yeah. I go, this guy knows I'm a liar. My body knows I'm a liar. He must hear that all the time. No, I'm going to lose the weight. Okay, but just in case you don't, I'm going to fix that. Right. I miss doing those characters. They don't let you do those anymore. You know, you know so really, why? Because anything outside, you know, I don't know. I'm part Filipino and German. I don't know what I am. And so, but they, they just, you know, anybody outside your, you know, it's cool. Uh, cultural appropriation. I thought the whole point of cul- cultures was to be appropriated. Look, give us, take this, like yeah, you know, and have fun with it, and have fun with it. I remember I insulted the whole country of Spain one time because I said something was paella and I took a picture of it. And the, I, I swear, seven hundred and fifty thousand people in Spain were like, "That's not the, that's not the paella. It comes with rabbit and asparagus." And I don't know what the heck. So what you made was stuff on rice. And I said, "Okay, I'm sorry." Now, I give up. now a couple of things because we do know. I think it was Jill Biden that compared all Spanish people. What was it? Uh, all Spanish people to a uh, taco. First of all, nobody nobody uses the word Latinx. <laughs> right. I've been married to my wife, who's Mexican for thirteen years. She never says, "You know, I'm Latinx." You know, that's just it's insanity. Right. You know, so, but well, there's uh, so much insanity going on right now, which is why yeah, people th- watch you in movies. They watch. How do they get away with it? It's only because of the graciousness. Of the of the Hispanic community that that Jill Biden didn't get crucified for that. But a couple of things, and I, and I this is one like you'll find is a few things that you'll I'll say and you'll go that's genius. And here's something else that nobody <laughs> has nobody has jumped on this. You know he got less Hispanic votes uh, than any Democrat in a long time, and and Trump got more. And now yeah. they seem to be shifting more and more uh, to the right. Well, do, and you, do you know that Hugo Chavez is not Hugo Chavez, but Cesar Chavez's bust is at his desk in the Oval Office? And I think that is an over. Since when is a guy from Delaware <laughs> with Cesar Chavez? That's a push. Like, hey, I, I Latino know. community, come back. The, the, the assumption that the Latino community is going to vote for, just automatically for the, that's what happens is like they just assume that. That this voting block is going to continue when they're not serving those particular interest groups at all. And so, the, you know, I, I say this to people when I'm performing, and it's true. I said, like, they, I, you know, Hispanics don't want other people coming into this country illegally. Say, so, I don't want someone coming into this country, try to take the job I just took. I just <laughs> took it. <laughs> Huh? I just took it. Now you come to try to take it. I already took it. You know, so, but it's. Oh, well, you uh, earned it. <laughs> yes. He earns it. He gets well, you, it. You come here. Look. The, the fact of the matter is you, we do need people to work in this country and who are willing to work hard and do jobs that other people don't want to do. I, whenever you, I walk in someplace now, because, you know, during the whole pandemic, seeing anybody working anywhere and getting people coming back to work was incredible. So I, I see somebody working. I, just want, I always shake their hands and say, thanks for working today. Uh, exactly. Because a couple of other things is that um, in New York, the front page of the New York Post today there's something like 5,500 children that got to be worked into the New York City system, 90% of which don't speak any English at all. So you have yeah. teachers in there walk in and they can't communicate with kids in the back. These kids are, it's not their fault. But yeah. the other third graders or fourth graders, and you have kids, they come home with first grade homework because they're trying to, they have to level out the whole class and they can't even understand it's, these kids. We don't understand and we won't for a decade the real. Uh, you know the the real problems that are going to come from what from being behind and from 
the emotional problems that they're going to have, how they're two years behind. And it's especially the poorer children have it even worse because I think the, you know, the, some of the numbers were, uh, you know, was is incredible. The losses that were gained. You have like uh, poorer families, you know, uh, people of color that had that their reading standards were climbing and climbing yes. and climbing and all of a sudden dropped off the face of the earth. Pandemic. You know? When I saw some kids outside of Starbucks, you know, on, online, I didn't see it personally, but trying to get the Internet during the pandemic with their computer because they don't have it at home. So the assumption that this is just all going to take care of itself it's, it's, was very shameful. I mean, I think it's coming out now that the, everybody knows, and you talk about this, that the lockdowns were worse than – yeah. Know, don't make the cure worse than the problem. That's so the other thing, did. Rob, so we were really good at coming up with a plan to destroy everyone's lives, got to go yeah. home, we got to get quarantined, you got to get protected. What about a plan to get these kids caught up? What about a president of the United States or a governor that says, my problem is my, my, the grades have dropped to my, the people that put me in office. Their kids, their, their grade level has dropped. So we're going to do a massive effort. It's going to be a couple hours extra of school a day. We're going to get the extra More. money in the budget to maybe yeah. get a, a Huntington Learning Center. Instead of To putting... maybe give it to them to get these kids to go to extra school. Because a lot of these kids, believe it or not, miss going to school. Maybe if the kids, maybe if the schools had a Ukrainian flag out in front of it, they would get the funding. I'm pretty sure that with this administration. <laughs> we have to extend. We were behind before this. You have to understand, like, in Europe, the, the school year is longer. And I do think we need to extend it. And we have to. We have to. We're going to have to throw money at the problem. And it is a problem. We need to not only catch up to where we were, where we we're, we're, were behind. We have to now catch up to get these kids up to where they were two years ago. And I think you could enlist parents to do a lot of that. They could help out. Uh, Absolutely. I know that they're overstretched already. So listen, Rob is here because, number one, he hasn't said it yet or to anybody else, but he wanted to meet me. Uh, yes, and he also, true. Da- you, da- you, dress, you dress very well. I go, okay, well, that's when, – when, on Gutfeld, I go, that's the only guy whose suit looks good. You, said, well, to I me, said, right? Yeah, I said, Brian looks good. And he obviously works out, which you need to do. Because you know, guys can cruise in their late 40s, early 50s. Go, hey, that guy still looks really good. But you got to spend some time in the gym. Absolutely. you got to get in there. I do. I, don't have, I have an unforgiving metabolism. <laughs> because if I – I mean, to, one thing I do, I don't eat until after 12. Oh, yeah, that helps. So, yeah. so that helps. I know. And then, but then when I start eating, I really start eating. But <laughs> let me just get you – I just want to make sure everybody knows you're looking for a movie that you bring your family to. Yeah, it's here. Daddy's Daughter Trip is in theaters, which I think is so cool. And uh, my son's the biggest uh, Rob Schneider and Adam Sandler fan uh, in particular. And we he watched every show. In fact, the movie that you guys shot on Long Island, he went out and just watched the shooting of it oh, yeah. every free moment he had. And what I think that people love is a sense of family. So you're yeah. in a movie, you bring a Sandler. Uh, Sandler's in a movie, he brings Rob. And you have the we Adam's have, wife plays your wife in this movie again. Yeah, well, and then it, your daughter's in this. That's kind of cool. There's a nice little scene where, like, where, uh, where you know, because I'm such a moron in the movie that and in real life, but she, um, we lose our a place where we're living, and we have to live move in her friend's house. And then her daughter, our daughter, comes in in the movie, which is my really my real daughter Miranda. She walks in. And she says, "Mom, I can't sleep. Can I? Uh, can I sleep with you?" And she says, absolutely. And you can just see the way Jackie, Adam Sandler's wife, Jackie Sandler, you can just see the way she just gets up. And you know she's done this a thousand times. She she's a mom. Up, she gets up and goes and goes to sleep. It was just such a real, like one take. That's it. We can't do any better than that. You so, know? so this is a non-actor question. When you see your daughter and you're acting and you got to act goofy and maybe without the values and ethics that you have, whatever it is, <laughs> just be kind 
Do you see your daughter, or are you channeled into into a character, or in a comedy? Is it different? Is well, because you can act different characters. Well, but at, at this point, you know, because I had a really goofy wig uh, in the movie, and um, she uh, she was a natural. I didn't have to give her notes. She knew what she was doing. There's but when a, you see her, what do you see? Do you see your daughter? I do, but I, I you know what I see as I, I already see a young a young actor. And I know that she's into it, and right. she loves it. And, and about halfway through, she understood that it was a job because in the beginning she didn't. She said, "Okay, we're done." And I said, "Okay, no, no, you're done now. Daddy's turn. It's daddy has to get his side. You have to shoot." And she she didn't understand that. But she can, can you explain know. to me who doesn't know? So in other words, she does her side. My daughter. And well, then you have to do her. your side from she the was, other side. She was eight, and we would shoot her side, whatever. And then she said, "Okay, we're done. I'm going to leave now." <laughs> and then uh, I said, "No, no, no, no. We have to do it again, honey." Wow. And so she said, well, no, but I don't want to. I just did it. And I said, no, 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 it's not, that, it's not that you didn't do a good job. You did great. It's just now it's daddy's turn. And so it was um, just a, that stuff was the only part. But she, we practiced for months and months and months. Just my, my favorite scene in the whole movie is called the star scene. And it really is like we're sitting in a car on the side of the road because we're a broke family. doesn't have any money to take the, to take my kid on a fun spring break. So I just pretend to take her to like a water park. I take her to a car wash. You know, <laughs> and, and, you know, and so it's it's these kind of things. Then we right. go see a drive-in movie, and we're open behind the fence, and we can't really hear anything. And I got Paramount was very nice to give me Jerry Lewis's a movie from Jerry Lewis. You know, uh, Family Jewels from like the early sixties. Really? Wow! And they well, I had to pay for it, but they were nice enough to give me a break on yeah. it. But anyway, so and we're just watching this thing. So and then at the end of the night, we look at these stars and we tell each other how much we love each other, and it's really beautiful because I said I love you because we practice this, you know. At her house, because we say this, you know, before she goes to sleep, I go, I love you all the way to that star and back a thousand times. And she'd say, I love you to the end of the universe and back infinitely, to, to infinity. And and then and then we just change it to, I love you all the way to my nose and to my ear and halfway back. And and then she she said this beautiful line that she just had lip. She said, I love you all the way to my index finger, to my thumb, and they're touching. And it's just, she just, it was so beautiful. That is so, awesome. And to see a real father and daughter, we watched Paper Moon, a little bit of it. Um, I watched the whole thing, but my, my daughter, because she's eight, I wanted to see a real father as Ryan O'Neill and Tatum O'Neill in a movie together. And it's really magical to see. I'd love to see that again. I'm so when I was, yeah, I, I think I'm Tatum O'Neill's age or something like that. She's I remember brilliant. watching it. Yeah. But you can see the comfort level that the two of them had together. Rob, I know you used to do in the podcast with uh, with uh, it just goes and, on and, and on. You have, but, but I have to actually take a break. You have to take commercials. You right. have to pay for this. Right. You have to pay but, for this. But suit. one story is better than the next. And I'm saying, how rude do I stand if I stop the paper moon story? But let's, we got that in. Rob Stein is here for another segment until he Thank storms you, Brian. out. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Rob Schneider's in studio. It's our privilege. If you're watching Fox Nation, Rob, I didn't tell you you're on television still. You're streaming. Uh, Yeah, and this is really going to make you famous. You're not going to be able to walk outside. Uh, His new movie is called Daddy's Daughter Trip. It's in theaters starting Friday, right? So it's expanding, expanding, expanding. We we just started in Arizona, and now it's going out there in Cinemark. Thank you for taking me taking me out wife co-wrote co-wrote the movie right? yeah patricia yeah she's great and my buddy as yeah, your buddy now jamie lisso right yeah i mean he was your friend first though so yeah, for I the record first yeah right? I, want, I want him back and he and he uh he uh raves about you so i want to bring you to what happened in stand-up this girl this woman ariel elias was on stage mm-hmm. and she asked asked taking questions from the audience and she ends up getting a beer thrown at her here's how it Ooh. sounded Whoever you want to vote, I don't. I don't care who you voted for. I'm just happy we're all here together. So you voted for Biden? Okay. Huh. Like, Biden. I don't know. Why does That's it matter? Good. Yeah. So what? Why does it matter? Why do we I can just tell by your jokes you voted for Biden. Why do we care? All right. About all this? I can tell by the fact that you're still talking when nobody wants you to that you voted for Trump. Please. So, so Rob, what happened? the beer. The the boyfriend or the husband of the guy threw a Trump supporter or or whatever. She didn't like her. Threw the beer at her. She picked up and drank it. Uh, so, from doing stand up, from seeing what happened to Dave Chappelle and seeing what happened yeah. with Chris Rock, do you worry about this? I have extra security on my show. You do. I do. Yeah. Because you're always got. Especially, do you talk politics at all? Yeah, a little bit. But to get laughs, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's about getting laughs. But at the same time. You have to talk about what's happening in society. I mean, if, if you're a comedian of a certain age, like I am uh, in my 50s, you, I mean, you got to be influenced by Richard Pryor and George Carlin. They were commenting on what was happening in society. Right. And I think in, in any art form, whether it's a, if you do sculpture or whether, you know, if you're a musician, you, uh, especially if you're a comedian, you have to talk about what's happening in your culture at the time. I mean, it's not about relevance. It's about, you know... It's about getting people. The only difference between artists and everybody else, or, or good writers, which comedians should be, is that they know themselves a little bit more because they spend the time. And most people are busy. They're going to work. They're taking care of the kids. They're coming back. They're tired. You know, they're they're inundated with with enough stuff. They're driving or they're on the bus or whatever. And so, or, or you know, on the, you know, trying to get to work, commuting. So it's that knowing yourself a little bit more and delving into it. But you do have a strain of intolerance. Like the way that comedian handled that, she wanted to have a conversation with somebody who, spo- who, who, who agreed with her and saw that same echo chamber. She didn't want to have anybody. She didn't want to have any discourse. No. She, there's not about dissuasion. It's like she's willing to talk to her own people. And you learn nothing only talking to your own people. You have to have, if your ideas are good enough, hold them up to debate right. and see who can talk better. And, and that was just about silencing someone who was on a different political uh, you know, agenda than she was. Right. And, Rob, uh, we have a, sh- a short time out. Come back for another five minutes. Yeah. Okay? All right, great. Uh, Rob's here. Go see his movie, Daddy's Daughter Trip.
information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show this week president biden pardoned thousands of convicted marijuana users and it feels like maybe he celebrated with them a little because yesterday biden gave a speech at a car factory and opened with this let me start off with two words Made in America. Wow. Well, let me respond with two words. Jesus H. Christ. (laughs) Biden was then heard criticizing reporters at the White House for shouting questions at him. Questions like, what year is it? And who's the current president? So that's as edgy as I've heard SNL get with a Democrat, Rob Snyder. Well, the whole point is to make fun of whoever's in power, whether it's Democrats or, or whatever. I remember one time when we were making fun of the Clintons, and uh, Julia Sweeney played played uh, the daughter. You know what's her name? Um, uh, I can't, the Clinton Chelsea. kid, Chelsea Clinton. And and the, we got phone calls like from the Democratic Party. That's too much. You can't make fun of the. Ch- you can't have the children because we put braces on her and everything. And it's like you have to make fun of the people in power. And I'm glad that they're doing it because that's what needs to happen. But Rob, Rob it's not happening. I mean, uh, Jeff it hasn't Dave, happened. Yet. Do you remember? And uh, this is again one of those observations that you're going to go. That Brian is really smart. Uh, do you know when to look like and Biden? well dressed? Right. Thank you. Uh, do you remember when uh, uh, look like Biden was out of it? And yeah. he was just done. Jeff Sudeikis played him when they were doing a mockery of the Democrats debate. And he was having fun. He was making fun of him. He doesn't know what's going on. He's talking too loud. He's interrupting. Yeah. As soon as he got the nomination, they bring in a guy that just acts normal as yeah. opposed to Trump. And I'm wondering, did, did the SNL brass, Lorne Michaels, just say, I'm just concerned that a Republican will win or that Trump will get another term and well, just throw <laughs> comedy into the back burner? I think it's also a fact of like – it really was. I mean, Dana Carvey and I were talking about this. I had to throw Dana Carvey under the bus right here. But no, but Dana said, like, when he first, his, you know, his impressions are, he's the greatest impressionist we've ever yeah. had on Saturday Night Live, he's, by far. That was a great and, Biden, by the way. And his Biden, he said, when he first started doing it, the audience was like, ooh, we can't laugh at that yet. Because it's true. Because it's like, you know, it, it's like seeing, like, you know, you know, one of the deer gets hit on the side of the road or something, and he's kind of, you know, jumping around, or, you know, and she's like, oh, man. Oh, you know, it's like, it's it's a car crash. It's like when his bike fell over. You right, know? right. I'm, I'm, now, if, if Biden would have got up and said, Putin made that bike, it would have got a laugh, you know? It would have. Yeah, but, I, so I do think there was that, that tendency. But you have to make fun of the people in power. Right. I mean, the, the idea that the Democrats just you know, just manufactured this guy to run to become president because he was the least offensive of all the candidates. And he's not Bernie Sanders. Yeah. And they scared him because Bernie couldn't win. So, Rob, how do you feel about going on social media now, doing shows like this and coming out and say, hey, I'm a Republican? Well, you just you have to know you're going to get the the ideological barrage of of moronic, uh, you know, people saying horrible things about you. And that's okay. I don't look at it. I mean, truthfully, I mean, the, I don't know what the Democrats are complaining about. They have all the tech companies. They got, they got, they got Washington Post, New York Times. It's funny with people complaining about like how like, you know, if, you know, Elon Musk buys Twitter, these billionaire having a billionaire buy this. And it's like, don't you work for the Washington Post? Yes. Is there any irony of, available in your brain at all? And so, but it's like we have everything. I mean, can we not? What what do, what do conservatives have? We have one news channel and a guy that sells pillows. Can right. We, can we have that on know? that channel? 
Yeah, on that channel <laughs> only. It's the same you thing. Know. I invented the perfect plan. I have, my towels absorb water. Every towel absorbs water. Right, but the thing is that we will have like my next guest is uh, Tulsi Gabbard, and we'll have Democrats on. We have Harold Ford on, and people give their opinions on on yeah, number. Uh, there'll be Democrats on the couch. Yes, well, I mean, if you look at Tucker Carlson's ratings, it can't be all. It's not all Republicans. It's the, it's the only. It's there's rational news. There's absolutely that, you, you, you allow is. opposition thought here and it's not allowed right it's not allowed on the on CNN. see i look at rational too is we're in an oil and gas shortage this is my 1970s we have enough oil and gas why are we not using it well because of this religion called green energy <laughs> i know it's a religion i there's wish no, it worked there's no it, rationality it doesn't work i mean there's a beautiful documentary actually produced by like the most leftist guy there is he's the executive producer i don't say he made it it's called planet of the humans do yourself a favor your listeners Watch that. Okay. It, it just basically shows why green energy doesn't work. I want it to work. It doesn't work. And that's why you have California. One of the things, it's it's out of, you're not going to be able to buy it. a car. Yeah. Or There's no more new gas stations allowed in California. Well, you know what's crazy is that the, you, there was a great video on, on Twitter of all places where everybody was lined up for hours trying to charge their Tesla, and they couldn't do it. Right. <laughs> and Tesla's the one who supposedly built their own terminals. They still can't do it. No, and it's, and they also, I love that the governor of, of California is like, hey, listen, don't you can't charge. Don't charge your car. Right. Don't charge my car. You just told you me. You just told me I had to get a car that I can't afford. Right. Those aren't the cheapest cars, and now I can't charge my car. So it's lunacy. There's not one part of that's why. Like I could never. I couldn't stay in California, and I couldn't definitely stay a Democrat anymore. There's not one aspect of your life that the Democrats don't want to get, don't want to involve themselves in of your life. But according to reports, Democrats and Republicans will love Daddy's Daughter Trip. They've done yes. studies. The, the, uh, your, is, your money's just as good. It's newly printed. If you're a liberal, we'd love to have you. Right. Uh, it's, it's one of these non-offensive, apolitical movies that is just for people who for like other people. It's about families. It's you. about dreams and families and about the hanging on to your dreams. And if you have nothing, you can still make something beautiful. All right. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard's next. Rob, you've been a wonderful surprise for our audience for the last 45 minutes. Hopefully Thank this you. is just the first of many appearances. I'd love to come back. All right. Does you think he Thank means you. that. Uh, call me one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Back in a moment. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmead coming up. From his mouth to, to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Watch out for the next superstar. Here we it's, go. You're <laughs> talking about off fair always. Here we go. Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard is a rising star in this party. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard should be here tonight. Uh, the reality is we do not have enough young veterans in this party, enough young women in this party, enough people of color in this party. You're considered a rising star in the Democratic Party. You had a position of leadership in the Democratic National Committee. Tulsi's story is really, I think, tailor-made for Hollywood. I half expect Natalie Portman to be vying for the role any day now <laughs> because this story is not to be believed. Tulsi Gabbard, she is going to be the one to watch tonight at the DNC. And Tulsi Gabbard, she's an Iraq War veteran. Yeah. Yesterday she was promoted yeah. from captain to major in the Hawaii National yeah, Guard. So, so she certainly is a rising star. The yeah. fact that she's not right. here tonight yeah, for whatever bad. reason is unfortunate. I don't know, but in a battle, I want her in my trench. I can that <laughs> Me too. Me too. Right. That's a coveted CNN endorsement. Uh, that was there for Tulsi Gabbard early, but she couldn't tolerate it anymore. In the last 48 hours, she has decided to leave the Democratic Party. But we always love having her on. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, former congresswoman from Hawaii, uh, Democratic presidential candidate. Tulsi, welcome back. 
Hey, thanks, Brian. Good morning. Good to talk to you. So I, I wanted to play that. I heard some of this on Tucker last night. Eric was able to grab it. I, I did not realize how high in esteem the Democratic Party had you. I know you had a leadership position, but what was it like then? Uh, look, when I first got elected uh, to Congress back in 2012, uh, I was welcomed with with open arms, and uh, it, it wasn't because I was really any different than I am today. I've always been an independent-minded person, an independent Democrat, but uh, they saw the my story, my background, uh, and provided me with opportunities to speak to the American people, which I took advantage of. I think the thing that happened was once they realized that I was not someone who was just going to go with the flow, uh, read the talking points, and, you know, play along for uh, the advancement of so-called political careers or ambitions, uh, then they started to distance themselves. Once once they saw I was speaking out against, you know, regime change war and, and uh, new Cold War, a nuclear arms race, the issues that are impacting us here at home, as I was speaking out about protecting our freedom of speech, um, things started to change. Right. Uh, and have you joined the Republican Party? Are you staying independent? What are you going to do? Yeah, no, I, I made the decision to leave the Democratic Party alone, uh, really because of the fundamental problems with this woke ideological leadership uh, in the party. Uh, you know, my my commitment, my oath, my loyalty is to our country. It has always been country first. And to be associated with a party that uh, is driven by this woke insanity, essentially opposing and undermining our freedoms is not something that I could do any longer. Uh, so what's been the reaction since you made the announcement, Tulsi? Uh, my phone was, was ringing off the hook, text messages, a, a, lot, a lot of messages coming in uh, from people across the political spectrum, frankly. I mean, some of them were from former colleagues of mine in Congress. Uh, many others came from people, fellow Democrats, who are as sickened and disheartened by uh, again, this this fanatical woke ideology uh, that the Democratic Party of today is is choosing to represent, uh, sickened and heartbroken that uh, for for a while now, Democratic Party leaders seem to have forgotten the vision of people like Martin Luther King, the leadership of people like President Kennedy. Uh, they have forgotten the people, and they have become a party of. Uh, elites who care more for their, themselves, their own political ambition and power, uh, and uh, more, more than they do about actually fighting for everyday Americans, which is which the reason I joined the Democratic Party 20 years ago. Right. I mean, for example, with the Republican Party, you have people on the Republican side that said this is a conflict worth fighting and backing Ukraine. You have Republicans who say you should absolutely not be in there. But no one's canceling anybody. You could exactly. say what you want. So, okay, I disagree with Lindsey Graham. I agree with Tulsi Gabbard, whatever it is. But it's it's an exciting debate. That's why you don't have to go to another channel to get a debate. So, uh, and what... And, and that debate, that, that debate, just, I just, that you, that's such an important point, Brian, is that debate. You know, when I, when I was 21, I was running uh, for the state house in Hawaii, and I was not affiliated with the party. I didn't have any, uh, you know, real interest in politics before... I saw that opportunity to go and make change, and that was one of the things that drew me to the Democratic Party was that big tent, uh, inclusive party that encouraged debate, that encouraged people with different views to come forward. And that has that has not only been lost 
if you bring forward a view that is different from whatever, you know, the, the elite woke leaders of the party uh, have chosen is the issue of the day, the narrative of the day, then they will do everything they can to, to destroy you. Uh, whereas, uh, look, I, I think there's potential. The Republican Party has become very diverse. The Republican Party has become this party that's actually fighting for uh, at least a lot of people in the party are fighting for uh, the American people who are struggling every day, who, whose yeah. voices aren't being heard. And it's, it's, um, I think it's important to note. Debbie Wasserman Schultz basically destroyed the DNC. I mean, she was spending money on her big SUVs and her hairstyle, uh, and they left nothing in the coffers. Hillary Clinton would tell you the same thing. There was nothing there by the time she got the nomination. That was seemed to be the era in which you went from leadership to skeptic. What what really hit when the rubber hit the road for you as uh, in your leadership position? Can you bring us back to that? Well, first of all, what you say about Debbie Wasserman Schultz is true, but also the problem is much bigger than her. She's a she is just one representative of the bigger problems that um, that the Democratic Party has had and, and continues to worsen. But I was I was a vice chair of the DNC when Debbie Wasserman Schultz was the chair. Uh, I was pushing for transparency. I was pushing for uh, greater opportunities for voters to know exactly what Democratic candidates were standing for. Uh, if you recall, at that time, she unilaterally was trying to essentially limit. Hillary Clinton's exposure and having to be challenged by Bernie Sanders on the debate stage and, uh, you know, introduced a rule, again, unilaterally had no input or say from any of the vice chairs or officers of the party saying that, hey, uh, if if any other candidate, any other candidate goes and participates in a forum or debate that the DNC has not sanctioned, they will be banned from all future DNC debates. How undemocratic is that? for a, a, an authoritarian leader of the Democratic Party to make that ruling. And so that it was that and a number of other issues that I just I knew that uh, I could make more of a difference elsewhere and resigned as vice chair of the DNC so that I could actually go and participate and speak freely on behalf of the American people in our country. But you lose leadership, maybe the backing of the, most of the party. But to me, this was a moment that stood out and would expose Kamala Harris to be the the uh, inept politician that she is. Uh, if she took out Joe Biden by saying, I was that little girl that you uh, you were against busing into uh, white neighborhoods. And then the next debate had you next to her. Listen to this exchange. Now, Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president. But I'm deeply concerned about this record. There are too many examples to cite, but she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. And she fought to keep cash bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way. So she never recovered from that. When did you realize that her record needed to be examined? Uh, well, look, I mean, it, it, all you'd have to do is Google Kamala Harris record, and, and these are the things that came up. Uh, these are issues that I've been working on in Congress that I felt very strongly about. We had a person running for president who she claimed to be very proud of her record, and so I took the opportunity to hold her to account for that and explain to the American people why she did what she did. Uh, she, Kamala Harris is a perfect example of everything that is wrong 
with Washington and the Democratic Party of today. I pointed out at that time that she made light, joking, laughing about the fact that there is a double standard. Nothing happened to her when she smoked pot, but she was very happy to keep people in prison and put people in jail for doing the same thing. And as we all saw the other day, she's still laughing about this on Seth Meyers, still making light of a broken criminal justice system, still making light of the fact that there are rules for others, but not for her. Uh, It's her and people like her who should not hold these positions of power because they they don't believe in anything except pleasing and serving themselves and their own selfish ambition. Uh, so uh, Tulsi and closing, so you made this move, career move. So what would be next for you? I mean, where, where do you see yourself now? Yeah. You know, Brian, I, I've never, ever approached politics as a career. My, my life is something that I've dedicated to do my best to be of service, to be of service to God and to our country. That path has taken me in and out of politics at different times. I'm still continuing to serve in the Army Reserves as a lieutenant colonel, and I'm going to continue that mission of service. I'm going to continue to speak up for freedom, for our Constitution and Bill of Rights, and fight back against those who are trying to tear our country apart. Do you regret leaving the seat in Congress? I don't. You know, Congress, unfortunately, has become so dysfunctional. Uh, and again, the, the woke leaders of the Democratic Party there uh, would not allow for legislation to move forward or any kind of attention to be, to be brought uh, to issues important to the American people that they did not sanction. Understood. Uh, so hopefully you get here. I mean, every time you're on, I know everyone loves uh, seeing you. Even if it doesn't matter if you agree or not, everyone knows that you ble- uh, you bleed red, white, and blue. And I think that's kind of a relief to see politicians who feel that way. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate you having me on and uh, always, always enjoy our conversations. Absolutely. Tulsi Gabbard, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard makes a big moves. Leads the Democratic Party. Once uh, one of the, uh, the hottest politicians uh, that on the left uh, says, I'd rather not be involved in your party. So that is big news. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Hey, by the way, go to BrianKillMe.com. Hope to see you November 12th in Tulsa, KRMG listeners. November 13th in Tulsa, I should say. November 12th in Brandon, Mississippi. And December 2nd in Newark, New Jersey. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, we're coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Bottom of the hour, Rich Lowry will join us from National Review. And right now, David Avell, if you're watching Fox Nation, you see David all over the channel, but you see him especially now during election season, GOPAC chair and GOP strategist. Uh, David, welcome. Glad to be back. So, David, it's not all about politics, and I'll prove it. Here's my big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. Look what I've gotten done. Name me a president in recent history that's gotten as much done as I have in the first two years. Not a joke. Uh, Biden speaks. President sat down with CNN. He brought note cards. The interview lasted about 15 minutes. We'll bring you the highlights. Number two. 
As of this morning, there were 28 missiles, of which 20 were shot down, and shot down two terrorist cruise missiles with the help of Stinger manpads. One person saved dozens of lives. Thank you for that. And thanks, Derek. I saw one of those shots. It's amazing. Uh, taking out a, uh, a, a missile with a rocket that you hold on your shoulder. Coming to a head, the free world stays united behind Ukraine as Vladimir Putin rockets urban centers while Zelensky needs what he needs and how Vladimir Putin's inner circle might be looking to close it in on him. Number one. From my perspective in the House, it suggests it's not a question of whether Republicans win, but how big McCarthy's uh, margin is in the end. In the Senate, that's still going to be tougher, and that's going to come down to some of the problems the Republicans created for themselves. Yeah, that's true. Uh, perhaps Kim Strassel of the Wall Street Journal, midterms, race by race, issue by issue, and what the Fox power meter says now about Senate and House uh, seats and what should happen on Election Day. And we're about 27 days out. David, first off, uh, when I saw you in August, weren't as optimistic as you must feel right now. Sure. The wave continues to rebuild, and you see it in uh, these battleground states where Republican turnout continues to be high and intensity amongst Democrats is down. I'll give you one example in Florida in the of the big five, three are predominantly Democratic counties, Broward, Palm Beach and Miami. In the primaries, let's take Broward County, for example, you had a 68 percent Democrat turnout so far in the general they're at 57 percent. In Palm Beach, 63% turnout amongst Democrats in the primary, 52% Mm -hmm. in uh, the general. And in Miami, uh, through mail-in ballots, uh, primary 48% uh, in the general, it's down 41%. And you're seeing that around the country. Stacey uh, Abrams has talked about it in Georgia. In fact, uh, the former mayor, uh, Keisha Bottoms, who now is – Working in the Biden administration talked about how she didn't see Democratic base turn voters turning out at levels that they should be. All of that, uh, you take a strong Republican turnout, you take independence, which you and I always talk about is really the vote deciders in elections. Where do independents line up? Right now they're lining up with Republicans, hence why the wave rebuilds. So I understand that crime ads are playing a big role in these competitive House seats, number one. And that is new, but it's not because Republicans are geniuses. It's sadly the truth. We watched three cops get shot this morning. We see what's happening in New York on a regular basis. The random acts of crime and a guy with an axe at McDonald's gets 18 hours in jail and goes back and gets arrested again last night. So this is the reality. And you cannot say the Democrats are the party of law and order. The direct result of the Biden administration's policies and... With not enough focus put on these rogue prosecuting attorneys who say they won't enforce the law. Krasner in Philadelphia is a great example. But as you said, praised by uh, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman. That's right. Uh, and why Fetterman uh, now has his challenges from a turnout perspective. Uh, Ten per- Republicans are out registering Democrats by 10 percent in the city of Philadelphia. It goes to your point you just made, which is you don't have to keep screaming too much. I mean, it's on voters. They see it with their own eyes every day in their communities. You don't need a Republican to stand up and say, I have a great economic plan. All you have to say is it's not that because what you've seen with the rescue package, what you've seen with this latest new Green Deal package, which is the Inflation Reduction Act, it's not aptly named. People know it. 
And then what you see is when he says inflation is transitory and it isn't, when he says a recession isn't two negative growth quarters and it is, that's when people just say, I don't even know if Republicans are going to tell me. I know I can't believe that. That's right. The, uh, and you see that particularly with independent voters that not only – do they not like the direction the country is going in under Biden? They blame him and his economic policies for why we are where we are, particularly when it comes to the Green New Deal or the Inflation Reduction Act or whatever we're calling it these days. So a couple of things. The one thing I understand, election integrity does rank in almost every top five list of things that matter. And one thing that Democrats outrank you on that takes off independence when you question election results that president's been very quiet of late. I'm sure he hasn't changed his opinion. Um, how do you handle that? Yeah, because a lot of these nominees got their job by saying President Trump was right. You know, it, it's interesting. If, if you're going to make those accusations, you have to have credible evidence. Because uh, an interesting uh, underneath the numbers, while people might be concerned about voter fraud, they think their county clerk or the – uh, official that handles their elections in their okay, area yeah. are okay. They think they do good. a really good job. So if you're going to make accusations, and this is on both sides, you have both sides making accusations about voter fraud, or or certainly the Democrats make their accusations about voter suppression, of which no evidence suggests that. I mean, turnout in Georgia is very strong, despite the belief by pushed Stacey by Abrams. Democrats that and Stacey Abrams that turnout would be down. Um, it's not down. Um, in sub voter groups, it is, but not overall. Uh, it, it, if you're going to make these accusations, you better have credible evidence. So I want you to hear what Joe Biden said last night uh, and about uh, well, what he said to Jake Tapper whenever they taped it. Uh, he says this about what he's done. Cut three. We still have real problems, but we, look, 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 what we've, look what we got done. We, 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 we passed so much legislation that significantly makes a, makes a point about, you know, for example, the American Rescue Plan, the, the legislation to deal with inflation, um, the, the Inflation Act. We moved along. I mean, there's so much that's been accomplished. You want to take him on on that? He has passed a lot of legislation. Uh, every president thinks they've passed more than any other president. So his comment isn't necessarily new for a president to say. But he's had impact. The, he, he and you're willing has to run had, on that impact. He has had impact. Uh, unfortunately, it's been a negative impact. I mean, the, as we just said, the direct result of his policies are why we are where we are economically. And when when you raise taxes on Americans, when you make it, when you it gut the energy industry, uh, when we were a net producer of energy, net producer, and we gave that up and said, we're going to go start buying oil from people who make it dirtier, not as healthy, and charge us more for it. Those are all a result of Biden's policies. And that's why his approval rating is in the 40s. Interesting, too, if, um, you know, the, the chairman of GOPAC says that, attacking uh, Democrats, it's not really news. When Jamie Dimon does, <laughs> the, he's the chairman of the number one, uh, the, the most profitable bank in the country, he says, uh, we should be the number. We are the swing oil producer. We should not be asking Saudi Arabia for anything. He said we should have increased production of oil and gas the minute this war started. And we should have been in full throttle come March. It started in February. And then the president can honestly say I had to look my the, the left wing of my party and stare him down and say I had to do what's better for my country. Mm-hmm. And you might have had a harder sell in the midterms. Uh- May have, but that's not where we are. Uh, and then you have uh, Senator Joe Manchin, who 
tells us he's going to get the permitting bill, and then he can't get the permitting bill. So because he now, never checked with Republicans, he didn't work with Republicans, and you know the the little bit of the the support he enjoyed amongst Republicans immediately went away. Uh, they were happy when he was stopping the Biden administration, but when he f- f- fell in line, he became just like all the other Democrats. But you, you bring up the, your initial question brought up uh, or brought up an interesting perspective, which is it's not just Republicans criticizing him. Now you have Democrats in Congress openly saying it's time for someone else. You had uh, Tim Ryan flat out say that. You had another congresswoman running for office. I forgot her name. And you had Mark Kelly basically disparage the president and say, I don't agree with his border policy and his energy policy on the stage. And the problem with Mark Kelly, and to tell you the truth, I thought Republicans were screwed there. I thought he was going to keep that job as long as he wanted it. But he's an astronaut. He's a military officer. Show no courage. No courage at the border. No courage to do what Manchin's done 90% of the time and Kirsten Sinema has done. He didn't even stand up for Kirsten Sinema when she was being physically accosted. You would think that he'd do a press conference with her and say, that's not okay. Every Republican candidate should ask Warnock. Herschel Walker should be asking Warnock, uh, should the president run again? Uh, O'Day in Colorado should be asking him Michael Bennett, should the president run again? Should Is his policies worthy of a second term? That's the other one. Every Republican candidate should be forcing their Democratic opponent to stand up to Biden or fall in line with Biden and let voters know. Yeah, uh, a couple of things. When we come back, I want you to hear from – I want to play Fetterman for you. A reporter got a chance to interview him for the first time since his stroke. And they have to use closed caption off a, off a laptop in order to communicate with him because he sees the words and he doesn't understand what they mean. He needs to read the, or hears the words. He needs to read the words. I feel terrible for him. Mm-hmm. But if I had that problem, I couldn't do this job. They would say, Brian, yes, best of luck. Right. We have insurance. You can't come to work until you can speak. Right. He can't speak. Uh, and what that means for the race, what it means for Herschel's race. Tom Cotton was just down there. Uh, and a lot of people are looking at what's happening in Wisconsin's governor's races as well as what's happening in Arizona for governor's races and finding we're in a flat-footed tie. What will we need to push, push them over the finish line? We'll talk to David Avella about that. He's chairman of GOPAC. Don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We had a monitor set up so that he could read my questions because he still has lingering auditory processing issues as a result of the stroke. Just in some of the small talk prior to uh, the interview before the closed captioning was up and running, it did seem that uh, he had a hard time understanding our, our conversations. That is Sasha Burns of MSNBC talking about an interview with John Fetterman. If you're thinking to yourself, this is the first one I heard in a while, you're absolutely right. He's going to do a debate in a week. It's a week now. And he can't do any interviews. His, his events last 10 minutes. David Avella here from GOPAC. David, what do you think hearing that reporter from MSNBC recount what it was like talking to John Fetterman. If you're an undecided voter at this point in the election, it's certainly going to continue to give you pause, which is why Dr. Oz is being very strategically smart by getting into those swing areas of Pennsylvania and reinforcing his image as the Dr. Oz and not the politician 
Oz running for office. He, his words were pretty uh, smart in, in saying, this is not fair to the voters. Forget about me. It's not fair to the voters. You deserve somebody representing you that can, that can do the job. Okay. Clearly, you can't do the job. So, Fetterman, this is so, a little from that interview. Here's 13 seconds of it. Cut 10. Are you soft on crime? Uh, of course not. I'm actually effective on crime, and I believe in second chances, uh, and I've run on that record. Mm. Good luck with that in Philadelphia. Oh, okay. the two, uh, just one carjacking? Go back out there. Best of luck. Yeah, the, the follow-up question would have been, what's one thing you've done as lieutenant governor to help bring crime down? Nothing. He touted his – in fact, he's made it worse by uh, teaming up with Krasner in Philadelphia – and and making it so that we're not going to enforce uh, laws. You know, and here's the other very deceitful uh, action that many of these Dems are taking, which is they're talking, particularly these prosecuting attorneys and attorney generals, they talk about how they're bringing the crime rates down. They're bringing crime rates down because they are not uh, enforcing laws, uh, the lower lower laws. And cops just aren't making arrests because they're right. not going to be processed. Right. And they're retiring. And it's uh, it's a, we got to get moving in a different direction on this. As a country. You yes, know, that's right. I, you know, I wish it was those minor issues when we talk about same-sex marriage and you could talk about that and what it means for society and cultural issues. But this is a five-alarm fire happening on a regular basis. As you know, in the middle of the show today, three cops shot in Philadelphia. Yeah. So all of a sudden, wait, we grew up, we woke up, and there were two cops shot in Philadelphia. Yeah, these are three different cops. And they're about 700 cops down. They can't hire them. They were coming to New York. Now, New York can't fill up an academy. We know 1,000 cops down in New Orleans, the capital, the murder capital of the country, and you have a mayor who says it's too dangerous for a black woman to fly in coach, that that's why she's got to use city funds to fly first class, and when in trouble, going to the Netherlands today. So these are, these are moves that Democrats have to somehow rationalize. It's a disconnect between the reality that the constituents they represent uh, – are facing every day and what they're telling people they're facing every so day. So let's get into the numbers. Fox sure. has these power rankings. I don't know exactly how they do with the science behind it, but I'm sure it's competent. Uh, the Democrats projected to take 204 seats, plus or minus 16. The GOP projected to take 231 seats, plus or minus the same. 31 House races deemed toss-up. Does GOPAC have 31 races toss-up? Uh, I think you're going to ultimately see Republicans somewhere picking up a north of 45 seats this election, uh, particularly and they're down what six, um, right? But yeah, uh, and you know, particularly you look at states like Florida, we're going to pick up uh, congressional seats throughout the Midwest. We're going to pick up congressional seats potentially too in Texas. Um, it's going to be a strong night for McCarthy and getting a solid majority of men and women who hopefully want to get to Washington to get something done. So uh, the Fox News power rankings looks at the Senate. The Dems have locked in, in their mind, 47 seats. The GOP has locked in 49 seats. Four Senate seats, they have toss-up, if you want to uh, take task to this. Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. First on Arizona, Blake Masters, I only saw clips, evidently just steamrolled Kelly on that debate. How much does that matter? It does matter. Uh, Proving his credibility uh, to voters, one. But two, it goes back to, and we've talked about this, in wave elections, you don't win one competitive race. You win them all. 
because it is a it is one team is particularly motivated to go vote and the others are not. And going back to what we're talking about in the very beginning if it's of close the show, enough. yes, in close elections, that's right. And all of these are close. Um, it, it is you, the team that is most motivated, who team up with independents, who get the independent vote. That's who wins, and you, you win big. And so whether it's Arizona, whether it's Nevada, uh, where Nevada, Adam, only, let's drill down on that. Adam Laxholt is not trailing uh, almost in any poll I've seen up two or three points. That's right. What is your read? Well, you add to that to underscore how well Laxholt's doing. Uh, the incumbent Democrat governor is down to the Republican lo- nominee Lombardo. And you trickle that down, and an area that GOPAC focuses on in state legislative races as well as federal races is uh, the in competitive state legislative races, the Republican is either tied or up in three of the targeted state. Le- so just as a state, again, it goes that trend that you don't win one competitive race, you win them all. Uh, Herschel down by a couple of points with this controversy. What has to, uh, Do you still give him a shot? I still give him a shot, absolutely. Warnock has to explain how voting for the Inflation Increase Act has made life better for Georgians. Pennsylvania, Oz seems to be on a roll. We just talked about it. I mean, Oz is smart going into the swing areas and playing the doctor, not the politician. Thank you. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Do you think Democrats have something to run on? Oh, I think we do. I know we do. And here's the contrast. We know it. What's the Republican platform? What are they running on? What are they for? Well, they want to put Social Security on on the chopping block every five years, and the other leader comes along and says, no, every year it should be up for grabs. Medicare, Medicaid. And the first thing they say they're going to do is get rid of the Inflation Reduction Act. I mean, I don't know what they're for. That is um, Joe Biden doing what uh, politicians do. The other side has nothing. They're not running on anything. I could give you a litany on things Republicans claim to be running on, and I think Joe Biden knows it. He wants to focus on what Rick Scott said, and that is Rick Scott, one of the things he did, to, to much to the chagrin of many in his party, he put on paper that non-discretionary spending needs to be examined, and that, of course, would be Medicare and Medicaid, which is a third rail for seniors and seniors vote. Rich Lowry knows all about this, editor of National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. Hey, Rich, do Republicans have anything to run on? <laughs> they have, uh, well, first of all, stopping what's going on. And yeah, you're right. Biden wants to run against Rick Scott. A couple wayward ideas in this. Uh, I don't know. I have a list of like 200 ideas or so. And one of them is looking at Social Security every five years, whatever it is, which seems reasonable to me. Uh, but of course, Democrats have been demagoguing on Social Security and Medicare for about 50 years. So that's what their reflex is. But that's not that's not a major issue anywhere, right? I mean, it's the economy, it's inflation, it's crime, and then down the list is abortion. And that's the main thing they've been trying to make hay, hay on. It's the main thing they're going to at the end here. Stacey Abrams has been trying to, to do it to regain her footing. As Brian Kemp doesn't appear to be working, it's what Mon- Mandela Barnes is going to in Wisconsin. We'll see. That one's kind of close. But it's rare to have Ron Johnson ahead in any polls, and he's been leading in you know, the last five or six polls. So that one's actually looking pretty good. For Johnson. So, uh, no, they don't have a lot to run on the Democrats, not at all. Uh, yeah, and, and re- today we see the inflation rates at 8.5%, so it's higher than they thought. It's getting closer to 9 instead of uh, closer to 7. 
and people feel that on a regular basis. Some staggering numbers about people that have to skip paying their bills, according to some yep. surveys, are having trouble doing it. And that is, they don't wait for the economic data on Thursday and Friday, Rich. These are everyday yeah. people. Yeah, you, you don't need the, the official statistics to tell you what's going on. I was in a local shop last uh, week here outside of New York City, and they just said our prices are the highest they've ever been through, through this entire uh, inflationary episode. So I don't think they're abating. You know, it's food prices that have been driving a lot of it, and that's just a direct hit at every single American family, and inflation erodes wages, right? It makes your paycheck worth less, and people feel that, and that's why it's, it's uh, right up there with the economy or the top issue of this campaign. So we understand, too, the – I was looking at what Jamie Dimon said, and I mentioned this to David Avella who's just here. Jamie Dimon is – to me, he leans left. It's pretty obvious. He went out of his way uh, after, a, after a couple of meetings just to be against the Trump administration. But he came out and said the administration made a huge mistake when this war started, not upping the oil and gas production. We are a swing oil producer. We should not be asking Saudi Arabia for anything so that is the man who is chairman of the number one bank in the country. Yep. Should that resonate? And when people are looking for real answers, not political answers? Of course. Yeah. And, and the idea also that uh, we're going to punish Saudi Arabia. Uh, the, the best way to get leverage over Saudi Arabia is to pump more oil and gas here at home, right? And that's the one thing they won't do because they have this quasi-religious commitment to fighting climate change, which means fossil fuels got to go. So the, even though this has been you know, one of the main, thing, main things eating away his political standing, he hasn't reversed on it, and he likely won't reverse on it. This is just a, a deep-seated moral commitment, um, although misbegotten one on the part of the Democrats. And what you bring up, too, is this new push with, uh, with uh, Senator Menendez, with Senator Dick Durbin, to punish Saudi Arabia for not or for cutting back two million barrels of oil production a day? Can we just Menendez, who's been on the the foreign uh, foreign policy committee for what uh, ten twenty years, mm-hmm. who knows that the Iranian deal is a bad deal? You leave Saudi Arabia, in comes China, and Unless you're going to back right. Iran, you really have no choice. They know that. Yep. And, to, and to talk in a blusterous way about the evils of Saudi Arabia is to also understand this horrible nation called Israel, and I'm being sarcastic, says I could deal with Saudi Arabia. Uh, yep. I, we're, we're exchanging economic values and programs. We're flying back and forth. They actually set the table for the Abraham Accords. So to act in a, in a blustery uh, temper ta- have a blustery temper tantrum right now is just dumb. Yeah, so I, I have no use for the Saudis. We should have no illusions for the, the Saudis. This is a, a, a nasty transactional uh, relationship. Yeah, but but uh, it's just realpolitik. They're they're better than the alternative in the region, right? So if you're not going to go with the Saudis, you have to go with the Iranians, and that would be insane. And then they they're hugely influential, and they're sitting on a lot of oil. So if you want them to pump more, you need to be really friendly to them. And and this is the bizarre thing. You, you could either just pump our own oil and uh, be be independent, and maybe be down on Saudi Arabia, or if you're not going to pump our our own, then you have to go hat in hand in Saudi Arabia and be really really nice to them. And and Biden's done uh, neither of these things, right? He won't pump our own oil, and he's not going to kowtow to the Saudis and said all these things about how they're going to be a rogue state. And the, 
it just doesn't add up, and, and it creates the kind of debacle we're seeing, that uh, it's bad for our standing around the world. It's uh, bad for um, ordinary people here at home. It's just uh, a debacle all around. So I'm watching Special Report last night, and I know people are a little dizzy about this, but really for the last four years, and I was wondering what was really going on. This whole Russia hoax is even worse than anyone thought. And when people talk about things that were wrong with the election, forget about voting machines and forget about uh, uh, pickup trucks that drop off ballots or leave them under the table. That doesn't matter. No one could ever prove anything. Forget it. But if you want to know what affected the election, you could say that Hunter Biden laptop being suppressed. And you could say it's 50 plus uh, Intel officials say it's classic Russian disinformation. And that all of a sudden gave Facebook and others uh, a reason to sideline it. So this story never mm-hmm. got out. So yesterday, uh, a former CIA officer uh, joined uh, Brett Baer, who signed the letter, uh, this intel officer. They asked some questions about the threat behind Ukraine and what Vladimir Putin's, how his stability is. And here he is. Brett asked him to justify him writing a letter because the New York Times and Washington Post and New York Post all agree, looking at the forensic, the laptop was real. The interactions were real. The business relationship, that means that Joe Biden had, exists now in the White House. Here's David Press, uh, Priest, going at it with Brett Baer. Cut 34. Do you regret signing on to the letter? Oh, absolutely not. Because Why? those words are still true. Do you think it has all the classic the earmarks. Of election? Oh, absolutely not. No. This Even is... though it wasn't true. It no. had the classic earmarks, but it wasn't true. What is not true? That it was Russian disinformation. That's not what we said in the letter. Read the actual letter. And we said, we do not know if this is Russian disinformation. It has right? all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. Exactly. The I difference between an information campaign and a disinformation campaign not get to and a Joe misinformation Biden. campaign. It's Hold not on. my fault the if people nuance. don't look up definitions. Is that, is he, oh, my God. I mean, what do you think of the first off your, your take on that exchange? Well, look, I mean, they did write it in a squirrely way. They didn't actually say it was Russian disinformation, but it was written clearly to lead everyone to conclude that and have all the reporting on the letter saying that's what they were asserting. So it it just – his defense just gets to the the central dishonesty of the whole thing, and there was no reason they needed to write that letter except for to try to bail Joe Biden out and try to suppress discussion of the laptop. So it it had all the earmarks of a classic political operation that these people as intelligence professionals shouldn't have been within 100 miles of it. And I've said repeatedly this should be one of the the top things that Republicans investigate when they take the House. Why did People sign on the letter. Who organized it, and what you know, getting getting to the the bottom to the extent we can of the suppression effort around a totally legitimate, uh, highly significant uh, political story that was just inconvenient to to Joe Biden and near the election. So he had everyone uh, falling into place to try to keep people from learning about it. And that's what the 2020. If you want to, if you were President Trump and you got to be on the stump, forget about uh, the Rudy Giuliani uh, farcical cases. What you do is you bring up these things that happened leading up to this election that prevented the American people from having everything they needed to make the vote that was necessary to vote for the candidate we would invest for the job. And you can't say that 74 million people is not that he had no support. It's not that he was Walter Mondale. Hey, Mr. President, you lost 49 states. You know, you you had 74 million votes and you came within 2,300 of taking Arizona, uh, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. So that's the issue. And forget about this whole uh, the election was stolen. No, you had the intel agencies working against you. Do you realize I was thinking about this, Rich? 
that the all these intel experts were duped by a crackhead sexual addict <laughs> that dropped off a laptop at an independent uh, computer repair shop. They were duped by this. This is classic Russian disinformation or a crackhead son of a presidential candidate. Either yeah, one well, showed great sophistication. Is there any difference? Yeah, well, they, they wanted to be duped. I mean, that, that, that's a, the fundamental thing, right? They didn't care what the truth was. And sure, you know, the, when I first heard about the laptop, it had been, you know, shows up at, at this repair shop. Yeah, you want to kick the tires on that story. You don't want to immediately say, oh, this is 100% accurate. But you don't immediately go the other way and say it must be Rus- Russian disinformation, which is, again, the impression they wanted it to make with that letter. And then, you know, after you kick the tires, it's pretty clear it was legit and certainly should have been a matter of discussion. Discussion and debate, which Twitter and all the rest of them didn't want, which is fundamentally un-American and unfair. And the, the, these people should be ruined for that. Michael Hayden, who I was a fan of, I don't know what, how, what happened to him. He got Trump syndrome. Uh, the, John Brennan is disgraced every day he opens up his mouth. Uh, and the, everybody on there, uh, they should not be looked at the same, some of which are friends of the show. But you actually signed – Leon Panetta, former CIA director. Mm-hmm. You signed yeah. on to something without even making a phone call to find out – Hey, David Archer, uh, this is Leon Panetta. You are a partner of Hunter Biden. Yes. Uh, we're looking at emails to correspondence. I'm just wondering, was that you? And then or you, and when Leon Panetta, who's a Democrat, calls up David Archer, a friend of the Bidens, he would pick up the phone. And then you mm-hmm. call up a few others and say, is that you? And they go, after a while, I say, oh, listen, it might be classic Russian information, but the emails look real. The people, I actually got them on the phone, and they actually admitted. And then you have... The CIA go up to Hunter Biden under under threat of perjury. Is this real? Is this correspondence effective? Is this email to you? Is this your voice leaving a message for your father? Is that your father's voice leaving a message for you? So no one even did that. I mean, yeah. and I never went. To, I don't think I got to check my resume. I don't think I went to Langley for CIA school. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know who the guy was on Special Report, Dave, David Press or Press yeah. or whatever his name is. But Leon Panetta, I mean, this is a serious guy. You know, this is a, a graybeard who's been at the highest levels of multiple administrations. And to have him go, go in for this, uh, what basically was a disinformation operation, that letter, is really disappointing. And, Rich, I, I want to bring you to one more thing that I just seem to be examined. Um, and that is what's going on with the Durham report. And they have uh, this Dushenko character who work who was from Russia, was a source for the uh, a source for the uh, Steele dossier, and who actually was on the payroll of the FBI. He is now being tried for lying, and they backed up this story. This was backed up by a guy that was knee deep in the Hunter Biden investigation. That they after the Steele dossier was given to the FBI. They gave Steele a million dollars to prove it. What? You took yeah. taxpayer dollars, a million dollars, to prove that Christopher Steele, the report that he handed in, was real because we can't figure it out. Excuse me? You got hired by the Hillary Clinton camp to go get dirt on Donald Trump, and now you're going to give him a million dollars to find out if the dirt was true? And then when you find out that he can't, you still use it to get FISA applications. And then one thing that says, well, we still didn't go for Papadopoulos. Oh, but you did go for the other guy, Carter Page. And you did continue this farce and hire Robert Mueller as a special counselor for two and a half years at the cost of something like $30 million. Your government at work. Yeah. I mean, the million dollar detail is just 
amazing. Look, you, you needed to, you know, as I was saying, the laptop, you'd, you'd want to kick the tires. You kick the tires on the dossier, it immediately falls apart. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a jalopy, rusted out jalopy. And any competent FBI agent would have been known within like 24 hours, like some Google searches that there are things in there that didn't add up um, besides just the, the facial implausibility of the whole thing. And that they, they spent more money trying to check it out that they, to, to the guy who created the falsehood in the first place and then dragged the country through this years-long drama. It's, uh, it's, it's hard to take. And just factor this in, six-foot-nine-inch James Comey at Trump Tower. Mr. President, do you have a second? Yes. We got this dossier. It's out there. I just don't know if it's true or not. And mm-hmm. I just want to tell you about it, causing the distrust between those right. two forever, seeing his reaction and then chronicling it in the limo outside that continued to build like a tornado until the point is America was distracted. And maybe the cause of additional unrest with Russia that can never be repaired. And I'm not saying Russia is an evil regime, but we were coexisting. This put it over the top. Yeah, and, and once you brief the president about it also, that, that creates the predicate for the media reporting about it. And Comey, you know, whatever else you say about him, he's not an idiot, and he played this very cleverly for his purposes, and he was one of the prime movers behind the whole, uh, the whole hoax and the whole year, years-long drama. And he deserves the tar that goes along with it now. Uh, Rich Lowry, the National Review. Thanks, Rich. Hey, thanks, Brian. All right, I'm going to come back. I'm going to try to squeeze in some calls, one 408 Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Should the American people prepare for a recession? No. Look, they've been saying this now how uh, every, every six months they say this. Every six months they look down the next six months and see what's going to happen. It hadn't happened yet. It hadn't. There, there has. There is no. There's no guarantee that there's going to be. I don't think there will be a recession. If it is, it'll be a very slight recession. Let me say something. You have two quarters of negative growth. A lot of people think it arrived. Then when you have an inflation, eight point five percent. A lot of people feel it arrived. When you have unemployment, great. I'm so glad it's low, but ticking up. A lot of people say it's arrived. When they find out that six were sixty six out of every ten listening to me right now are living paycheck to paycheck. The people feel it arrived. That's why Jake Tapper usually does a pretty decent job doing an interview. Gave him layup after layup, and I thought the biggest layup was the biggest disappointment. Tony Bobolinsky actually called Jake Tapper out and said, Jake, call me. I will tell you the real story about how the big guy, Joe Biden, is involved with Hunter Biden's uh, finance deals with other countries. But instead, when he brings up Hunter Biden— it is one question, and it's the easiest question in the world for him to answer, and that is, my son's an addict, and he's not anymore, 32. By the way, this thing about a gun, I didn't know anything about it, but it turns out that when he made my a- a- application to purchase a-, a gun, what happened was he stayed, I guess you get asked, I don't guess, you get asked the question, are you on drugs, you use drugs? He said no, and he wrote about saying no in right. his book, so... I, I, I have great confidence in my son. I love him, and uh, he's on a straight and narrow, and he has been for a couple of years now. And he went and on I'm just so proud of him. He went on to say, like many families have had this happen, you get hooked on drugs, he's overcame it. He's established a life. He is a, I'm confident that he is what he says he is and, and does are consistent with what happens. That's his uh, manica, uh, you know, 
that's his idea of saying his son was once a drug addict. Now, by the way, if you are truly a drug addict, you never think you're cured. You never think you're over it. Say he's no longer using drugs for now. He wrote a book about it. He's not running from it. And the big question would be, what about the finance deals that implicate you, Mr. President? From the Fox News radio studios in midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. This hour, we're going to be joined by Senator Tom Cotton, Martha McCallum, Bill Hemmer. We'll then blast into our studio, and this hour will fly by. Uh, the number to call to talk to all of us, I see up there, one 408 7669 You can always get the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Also, it's official. Brandon, Mississippi, as well, be live on stage. I want to catch all of you there, especially if you're streaming. You're not in our family of affiliates, uh, VIP opportunities I can meet and talk to you about. The history books, including The President and Freedom Fighter, which is coming out on paperback on the 25th of October. Brand new stuff in it. Uh, be able to talk about what's happening in the news and what happened in our past. And then in Tulsa, Oklahoma, KRMG listeners on Sunday, November 13th, and uh, December 2nd in Newark, New Jersey. Beautiful theater out there in Newark. Uh, that'll be on a Friday night, December 2nd. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Look what I've gotten done. Name me a president in recent history that's gotten as much done as I have in the first two years. Not a joke. Oh, you got stuff done, but is it good? That's the key. Biden speaks. President sits down. 15 minutes with CNN. He needs no carts. Uh, we'll talk about it. Number two. As of this morning, there were 28 missiles, of which 20 were shot down, and shot down two terrorist cruise missiles with the help of Stinger man pads. One person saved dozens of lives. Thank you for that. It's coming to a head. The G7 gets together, shows they're backing for Ukraine. They want a missile defense system. Germany and the U.S. supposed to help. Uh, how does this thing end? Zelensky says, no chance of me talking to Vladimir Putin. I don't think he wants to talk to you. Number one. From my perspective in the House, it suggests it's not a question of whether Republicans win, but how big McCarthy's uh, margin is in the end. In the Senate, that's still going to be tougher, and that's going to come down to some of the problems the Republicans created for themselves. Uh, that is Kimberly Strasso because she does not think Republicans put the strongest candidates out there. I have no problem with rookie candidates. Midterms, race by race, issue by issue, and what the Fox Power Meter says now about Senate and House should the election be today. Let's bring in Senator Tom Cotton, who spent yesterday with Herschel Walker in Georgia. Welcome back, Senator. Hey, Brian. It's good to be back on the show with you. Well, uh, how did it go yesterday? Oh, it was a great campaign rally uh, in western Georgia, a Republican stronghold where Herschel Walker is going to have a huge turnout because the people of Georgia know that a vote for Raphael Warnock is a vote for Joe Biden. Raphael Warnock votes with Joe Biden 96 percent of the time. He's voted for trillions of dollars of spending, which has caused record high inflation. He's voted to throttle American oil and gas production, which is why we have such high gas prices. He's voted to go soft on criminals, which is why we have a crime wave all across our country. So on issue after issue, Raphael Warnock, who campaigned with puppies a couple of years ago, has turned out to be a lapdog for Joe Biden. Herschel Walker will be a bulldog for the people of Georgia. Uh, what, uh, how was he handling the controversy and the allegations about— abortions he may or may not have paid for. 
You know, Brian, uh, Herschel has been very upfront with the people of Georgia for a long time, that he is an imperfect, flawed person, as we all are. Um, Herschel found God many years ago. He's been redeemed and saved by grace. Um, and, you know, people in his life that he's hurt as well, like his ex-wife, have now uh, accepted his apologies. He's done right by them. They fully support him in this race. So I think Herschel uh, is a great redemption story for the people of Georgia. And in particular, if you read his autobiography, the struggles he had with mental health, which caused some of the problems earlier in his life, uh, allows him to see exactly what families are struggling with when they face someone with a mental health challenge or perhaps with an addiction challenge, which, again, will allow him to be a strong voice for the people of Georgia. On the abortion question more broadly, uh, Brian, you know, in all my campaigns across the country, obviously the Democrats um, are trying to dial it up to 11 on abortion, um, speculating about what Republican majorities might do as a hypothetical. But we don't have to speculate about them, Brian. We know exactly what they would do, because they all voted for a bill earlier this year that would mandate every single state allow partial birth abortion up to the moment of birth and would force you to pay for it with your tax dollars. The Democrats are the true radicals when it comes to abortion. Uh, I want you to hear what Lindsey Graham said, because it's about two or three points either way. Uh, Herschel Walker is up or down. And then you had this controversy, and Warnock stayed quiet. Why? Because there's a domestic abuse allegation against him. There's lack of child support allegation against him. There's all types of controversy. This is, you know, Senator Lindsey Graham, like you, Senator Cotton, said a lot of success campaigning in the South. Cut 18. Here's Herschel's problem. He's being outspent three to one. He needs to run ads talking about Warnock voting against border security and increasing the IRS by 87,000 votes. He needs to run ads telling the people in Georgia that Warnock has shut down domestic oil and gas production in the United States, making us more dependent on foreign oil and gas. And he also needs to tell the story about the double standard here. This October surprise against Herschel, you think that's an accident? They waited this long to drop it right before the election. So here's what you can do to help Herschel Walker and to help your own family. If you live in Georgia, vote for Herschel. Tell your friends to vote for Herschel. If you don't have a friend, go make one. If you don't live in Georgia, you can tell people you know in Georgia to vote for Herschel. So he just get get down, get dirty. Is there that type of uh, hustle in the Herschel camp? Oh, yeah. Yeah. From what I saw yesterday, uh, Brian, what I've seen from Herschel and his team all year long, um, he's working at it like it's uh, final final game of the football season and the playoff berth is on the line. Uh, Lindsay is right. Um, if you live in Georgia, don't just vote for Herschel. But as I said yesterday, the most important advertisement is not what you see on TV. It's you talking to your family and your friends, and your coworkers, anyone who trusts your judgment and your opinion and saying, I'm for Herschel. Here's why, and I hope you will be, too. And Lindsay laid out the case uh, why, that Raphael Warnock's been a rubber stamp for Joe Biden. He's voted against securing our border. He's voted to hire 87,000 new IRS agents as opposed to the Border Patrol agents we need at the border. He's voted against cracking down on fentanyl smugglers. He's voted for trillions of dollars of new spending that has caused this record high inflation. If you want to change, if you want to break on the Biden's uh, Democrats agenda, then vote for Herschel Walker. If you're not in Georgia, then maybe think about sending him a few dollars so he can communicate to those voters uh, who will make the difference. So you talk about communicating. I've never seen anything quite like it. Uh, John Fetterman does barely does 15 minute appearances does almost no interviews, will only agree to one debate, and needs closed captioning because he can't understand what people say, but he can understand what they, by reading. I feel bad for him. 
but is he capable of being senator? Listen to what was on MSNBC last night. This Dasha Burns was able to do an interview with him, and this is what she observed. Cut six. We had a monitor set up so that he could read my questions because he still has lingering auditory processing issues as a result of the stroke. Just in some of the small talk prior to uh, the interview, before the closed captioning was up and running, it did seem that uh, he had a hard time understanding our our conversations. I mean, that's unbelievable. In the Senate, you're an experienced senator. Do you need to understand when people talk, and do you need to be able to talk? Well, well Brian, first off, let me say um, I uh, wish Mr. Fetterman very well and a full recovery. I wouldn't wish what's happened to him on anyone, and I'm sorry that it happened to him. Um, and I do hope he makes a full recovery. But But I want to make two points. Um, about John Fetterman. First, is that irrespective of where his condition is now and where it's going, it, it's plain now that he misrepresented to the people of Pennsylvania over the summer the severity of his condition. It is very hard to work in the Senate if you cannot have a uh, discreet private conversation you know, on the Senate floor or in someone's office. Um, he may be able to use closed captioning at hearings uh, and other public events, but a lot of work happens behind the scenes, and John Fetterman misrepresented the severity of his condition to the Pennsylvania voters, I wonder what else he may be misrepresenting to them. And second, his uh, his recovery and the pace of it is the least of my concerns about John Fetterman for Pennsylvanians. I'm much more concerned about his radical record, especially his record on crime. He has a history as a member of the clemency board in Pennsylvania of voting to let serious violent felons out of prison early. And just think about this, Brian. He was asked once, what would he do if he could have a magic wand? What's one thing? And it wasn't to reduce inflation. It wasn't to close the border. It wasn't to end the fentanyl epidemic that's killing so many Pennsylvanians. It wasn't even to find a quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers so they could start winning some games. It was to end long sentences for murderers. That's where his priorities are. That's not the priority of Pennsylvania voters. That's why they're going to elect them at Oz in November. Yeah, I mean, uh, nothing against anyone with a stroke, but if I had a stroke, I couldn't do my job. I'm not saying I wouldn't get benefits and Fox wouldn't have uh, like compassion, but I, I just couldn't do it. You know, Tom, you'd be senator, you'd be filling in for me uh, and, and until I recovered. <laughs> There's no no one who can fill in for you, kill me. <laughs> you, well, an Ivy League education with an infantry background with uh, a, a session in Congress and two terms as a senator, I think you're qualified. Uh, I want to talk to you about Ukraine. Uh, it seems to me that Vladimir Putin's circle, inner circle is closing and his uh, barrage of rockets, while devastating and cruel, to me shows a, a little bit of desperation because he cannot win on the battlefield. You fought in close contact. You learned to fight in the infantry. The Ukrainians are destroying the Russians in face-to-face contact. The Russians are not committed to this fight. Here is uh, Vladimir Zelensky on uh, on what he is uh, seeing so far, cut 22. As of this morning, there were 28 missiles, of which 20 were shot down. More than 15 drones, almost all of them are Iranian combat drones. Most were shot down. On October 10, Dmitry Shumsky showed excellent skills and the reaction shot and shot down two terrorist cruise missiles with the help of Stinger manpads. One person saved dozens of lives. Thank you for that. They want a missile defense system. We said we're going to get him there and said Germany is supposed to help. And we are going to, it looks like, according to the Wall Street Journal, greenlight uh, something that goes beyond what the HIMARS will do in the field of battle. What do you know? 
Well, Brian, the missile attacks on civilian targets this week have been another barbaric action by Vladimir Putin. I can tell you that the action, though, that matters from a strategic standpoint is what you cited at the beginning. It's the frontline infantry and artillery troops in eastern and southern Ukraine who are retaking vital territory. These barbaric missile attacks, um, as gruesome as they are, and as despite the loss of life they've caused, are not going to have a strategic impact on the war. If anything, they will simply further deepen Ukrainian resolve, if that's possible, against Vladimir Putin and against this invasion. Uh, if this is the new phase of war, though, then no question the West needs to provide more air defense systems to Ukraine so they can protect protect civilian population centers. Um, these are not escalatory, as the Biden administration often worries about. They're not offensive weapons. They're simply designed to protect civilian population centers, just like we help our allies around the world in South Korea and Japan and the Middle East protect against missile strikes as well. And, and frankly, European governments need to do more to provide those kind of systems as well. Um, the way to end this war is to back Ukraine to the hilt so they can get Russian troops off of Ukrainian soil. There's a lot of Republicans who don't want to do this anymore. Uh, say, you know, we need so we have so many needs here. We're 32 trillion in debt. We're giving money out. We're not following through and making sure it's, and giving out arms and making sure that it's getting where it's supposed to. We hope it is, but there's no follow through with it. What do you say to people that are saying that I'm not sure we should be in this conflict? Well, the reason this conflict started is Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine because he's always wanted to reclaim Ukraine for the greater Russian empire. Uh, it's not anything the United States did. We're not fighting this war. We are simply enabling the Ukrainians to fight a war for their own soil. As Churchill wrote, it is the primary right of any people to fight and to die and especially to kill to defend their own land. Uh, and the best way to bring peace to Ukraine and re reestablish peace and deterrence in Europe is to allow Ukraine to defend its own territory. When you see the news about how much money is being spent in Ukraine, remember, that's not simply spending money or giving Ukraine money to spend. It is mostly the in-kind value of the rockets and the artillery and the other weapon systems that we're providing them, most of which is made here in the United States much of which is being bought here with those tax dollars to help provide good, high-paying American manufacturing jobs in our defense industry, like the workers in South Arkansas who have been working overtime for 10 months to ensure that Ukraine has the munitions they need and to backfill the munitions we need. Is the backfilling going on? There's concerns of Oliver North and others that it's not being done, that when we're emptying our coffers, we're not refilling them. Do you know for sure it's being refilled? So. It's, uh, it's not going fast enough, Brian. That's why I propose legislation uh, to substantially increase spending on America's munitions. Um, what we need is, is certainty in the order uh, uh, allotments and the appropriations for these companies that make systems like the Javelin um, or like the HIMARS system or like the shells that go in those artillery systems. These are not, I mean, they're advanced weapons, don't get me wrong, but they're not a self-fighter. They're not an aircraft carrier. They don't take years to make. They can be made with a strong enough commitment of resolve, both the money that we spend mm -hmm. for ourselves and our foreign partners who want to invest in them, that uh, these companies can open up a new production mm -hmm. line or they can run a third ship in the production line. We do need to substantially increase our rate of production 
of these kinds of weapons, and we can if we show the resolve and commitment to do so. All right. Uh, stay on top of it, Senator. I know you will. Senator Tom Cotton helping out Herschel Walker uh, as there's a sprint now, 27 days till midterm election day. Senator, thank you. Thank you, Ryan. You got it. Uh, when we come back, Martha McCallum, then I'm going to welcome in Bill Hammer, and we'll see if they'll talk to each other. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, Martha, I went a little long with my last guest, Senator Tom Cotton, who spent yesterday with Herschel Walker. Then we have him or Oh, Bar- I, I'm, I am sorry that I missed that. Um, I'm going to get you the tape. I, I, I would like to ask you a little bit about that, actually. Um, he said that he was on, on message, that Herschel made mistakes, and in the what past— What did Tom Cotton say about the face, that his face sort of dropped when Herschel Walker started talking about the cows all getting pregnant? I didn't see that part. He talked about cows getting pregnant? Herschel Walker? Yes, he did. Right. He told a joke about how um, he sent, uh, he said, I always tell this story about the cows. Then the bull is out in the field and there's three cows out there that are, that are already pregnant. So he wants to jump over the fence and try to find the ones that are on the other side of the fence. And Tom Cotton's face kind of went. <laughs> I'm not really sure this is exactly right. the direction that you want to be going in at but- this particular moment. In your um, in your race, so yeah, people have jumped all over it in other places. Um, you know, he says it's just a funny story that he tells, but it might not be the best funny story that he might want to be. You know what? We'll discussing pull, we'll at pull this it moment. right right around there. I just think it's probably a two or three point race at this moment, don't you think? I think so. I think that people in Georgia, you know, he. I think the, that the well runs deep for him in Georgia. I think people love him, and I think that uh, Warnick has issues of his own on his, in his race that uh, are, are of a similar nature. Um, you know, it's really just a question of whether or not. I, I think the one thing you can absolutely say about Herschel Walker is that he, you know, he is who he is, yes. and he doesn't run away from it. And he says, "Now you've awoken the grizzly bear, and I'm going to fight." You know, right. just like I did on the on the gridiron. So we'll see what happens. I have no idea. You know, yeah. I mean, it's a tight race, and uh, it could go either way. We'll see. Martha sticks around. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So what's your message to Democrats who like you, who like what you've done, but are concerned about your age and the demands of the job? Well, they're concerned about whether or not I can get anything done. Look what I've gotten done. Name me a president in recent history that's gotten as much done as I have in the first two years. Not a joke. And so I just think there's a, you know, it's a matter of, has anybody done more in the first two years of their administration for a guy who was, they've been saying this about my age for since I began to run. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, we you, can come work out with me in the morning. <laughs> right. So Joe Biden, I think 70% of the country is concerned about some of his cognitive issues, including 52% of Democrats. That's a study that was out this week. Uh, Martha McCallum and Bill Hemmer back together. Hey, bud, what's Yay. happening? It's, been yeah, a it's American weeks. Newsroom reunion tour. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> do, do you guys have reunion shows? 
We, sh- we have done a few. We yeah. could do it on Fox Nation. And I, whenever I can, I, I um, invite Bill to come on the story with me in the afternoon, and I do his show every Wednesday morning. So yeah, yeah we try to, you yeah. know, we who try have to you keep- had? Who's been on this show? Who's been on the America's News? Yeah, you and Dana Who's been Brady. on it? Yeah. Martha comes on every oh, week. Gosh. No, 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 you mean like the anchors, former anchors. Oh. <clears throat> you want the lineup? Yep. Dana Perino. Right, current. In um Before reverse that, order? Yeah. Um Shannon Brew. Not miss anybody. <laughs> um Sandra Smith. Yes. Um Martha McCallum. Yes. Um I think there was a short spell with Allison Camerata. Really? Maybe maybe not. Maybe that. Oh, that was at noon. Sorry, I did oh, okay. her show. At yeah. noon. Oh, right. And there was Megan Kelly. And um, oh yeah, you and Ma- Megan Kelly was the first, yeah. wasn't she? I, I I don't think I missed anybody. It's a rock How'd star lineup. It is. <laughs> what a reunion Bill, show that yeah, was. Yeah, I know. It's a fantastic lineup. And only best one, man, only one man can handle. it. We would crush exactly. it. Exactly. Only family. one man can handle we, it. We would crush Family Feud. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no <laughs> question about it. Oh, man. Right, Bill. You wouldn't have to do anything. It would never get to you. You'd be the end of the line. You're like, no, we won. That would um, be hilarious. So uh, we're just hearing uh, Jake Tapper talk to uh, the President of the United States, and I thought, wow, uh, I have a sense that Tapper wants this job, and if if CNN was going to change their mission and be more balanced. This would, and him to be the representative of that, who's given some tougher interviews to Democrats of late. This might be the moment. That wasn't the interview. Yeah. Um, well, what was omitted? I mean, the border is obvious. Right. Right. Came up. How about the Hunter Biden but, question? But see, yeah, the, we were just talking about this, yeah. it, and I think the problem with the Hunter Biden question is that the, it only went to the first part because there isn't an American human being who can't sympathize with someone who has a family member who has a drug problem or an addiction problem, right? That's part A. The problem is not that. That is a understandable human condition. The problem is that while he was doing drugs uh, and, you know, possessing an illegal weapon because he was doing drugs and shouldn't have had it in his possession, he was traveling on presidential aircraft to China and Ukraine to do business deals with high-ranking officials whose businesses were intertwined with the government of those countries. So that is is the problem, okay? So you have to then press and say, yes, sir, I know you've said that you didn't know anything about your son's businesses. Let's just hear it, just in case you you missed CNN 38, 33. I'm I'm proud of my son. This is a kid who got... uh, not a kid, he's a grown man. He got uh, hooked on, uh, uh, like many families have had happen, hooked on drugs. Uh, he's overcome that. He's established a new life. He is, um, uh, I'm confident that he is, what he says and does are consistent with what happens. Okay, I'm sure that last line's interesting. Uh, but that was the biggest layup. That way, not only did he ask a question, he asked a, not only an easy question, a question that made him look sympathetic as opposed to what we really care about. Well, and that is what Hunter did with the big guy involved. Well, Tony Bobulinski said to Bill, Bill, Tony Bobulinski said, Jake Tapper, call me at the end of the Hunter, at the end of the Tucker Carlson yeah, interview. I, I, I think um, we all do these interviews where we look back and we think, man, I should have asked that. Or I didn't have time to get to this. Sure. And there's, so there's a level of regret that you always have in hindsight. Would you agree? Always. Absolutely. Always. always. There's always just, something. There's always something. I mean, for my money, I would have said, who's the big guy? Yeah. Are you the big guy? Are, are you the big guy? Tony Bobulinski says he met with just, you three or four times. I don't even need all that stuff. You know I, just, you know, I just, yeah. you're the big guy. I don't know what you're talking about. You'd say, I don't know what you're talking about. 
Right. He would say that. He, he would say, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, well then, brothers. sir, was there any agreement after you were going to leave office to have a piece of this company or this business? You know, and if he says, I don't know, I don't know. It's interesting, even in that answer, and I don't have it in front of me, but he kind of backpedals about what he doesn't, what he knows and doesn't know about gun laws. You yeah, know? you want to hear he that? He goes, well, I guess, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. cut 32. By the way, this thing about a gun, I didn't know anything about it, but turns out that when he made my a- a- application to purchase a-, a gun, what happened was he stayed, I guess you get asked, I don't guess, you get asked the question, are you on drugs, you use drugs? He said no. And he wrote about saying no. In right. his book. So I, 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 I have great confidence in my son. I love him. And uh, he's on a straight and narrow, and he has been for a couple of years now. And I'm just so proud of him. Look, if, if he's my son, I'm going to say that too. Of course. I, I, I'm not going to begrudge him defending his son. I'm sure he's had a, a difficult time. But you could have said, are you the big guy? And just and, on, on but, your but, son, but and we, I, all, we all glad I, he's better. I don't know what Jake was going for. You know, I, I wasn't there, but I, I, I know what I would have inserted. Martha, I think you know what you would have inserted. Absolutely. It's the, it's the natural follow-up there because the issue, as I said, is not a family member who had a drug problem and is now better. Everyone is glad that this, this man is, is doing better now. The problem is while he was so uh, addicted – and we've seen the videos. We know that he was a mess. He was also doing business deals with Ukraine and China while his father was the vice president. That is the issue. That's the issue. And does any of that color the president's opinions about how he handles these countries in any way? That's the issue. Well said. Period. So uh, I want to bring up uh, something else. The Brett Bear. Oh, let's bring up this. There's mm-hmm. two issues I like to bring up. One, Brett Baer finally talked to one of the CIA, the intelligence officials that signed off saying that Hunter Biden's laptop was indeed Russian disinformation. He has since changed that spar in, in the sparring session last night after first getting his take on Ukraine and how much danger Vladimir Putin may be in. Uh, they went over to the fact that this guy, uh, Bill Press, a uh, priest, signed off that the Hunter Biden laptop, now proven, we knew it, but the New York Times and Washington Post both agreed that their experts concur that was legitimately Hunter Biden's laptop, and so was the contents uh, legitimate. Why did you sign off on a letter that says classic Russian disinformation? Cut 34. Do you regret signing on to the letter? Oh, absolutely not, because Why? those words are still true. Do you think it has all the classic the earmarks. Election? Oh, absolutely not. No, this Even is. Even though it wasn't true. It no, had the classic earmarks, but it wasn't true. What is not true? That it was Russian disinformation. That's not what we said in the letter. Read the actual letter, and we said we do not know if this is Russian disinformation. It has right? all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. Exactly. The I difference between an information campaign and a disinformation campaign and a misinformation campaign. It's not my fault if people don't look up definitions. Which well, is, a couple of things here. I mean, I, I'm glad he said yes to coming on uh, the program. I, I think Brett's team has been looking for a long time for a lot of people who signed that letter. And I, I think he might be the first person who said yes. Um, I, I, I think after yesterday, no one else will agree to an interview. Um, my understanding is that that gentleman is not even a Russian expert. And he, he signed a letter that said this is Russian disinformation. Classic. Um, yeah, it's just. He also it, wrote a book called How to Get Rid of a President, History's Guide to Removing. Um, Did not know that. To Removing yeah. Unpopular, Unable, or Unfit Chief Executives in 2018. Oh, so 
I, there's, <laughs> I, there's a, talk about follow-up questions. Well right. done. <laughs> well done. One. So yeah, here's a little more. Cut 36. What we're trying to do is point out that this has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information campaign. Not to say it's Russian disinformation, but to say that the propagation through American media and international media has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information campaign because we've seen it over and over and over again. They love to sow these kind of divisions and exacerbate them. That's not American. That's Russian. I got you. Yeah. But it ended up being a Biden information campaign because he used it in the campaign and in that debate. I encourage you to ask him about that. And I will. So uh, he was duped. So all these uh, intel officials were duped by a crackhead, crackhead who dropped a laptop over at a independent computer repair shop. And I'm just saying from my perspective, couldn't you have called David, uh, uh, David Archer, his business partner, directly? Before I put my name on something and my reputation on the line, would you have con- – all those pe- person would have picked up for a Democrat. Hey, I'm a- Leon Panetta signed that letter. Leon Panetta, you don't think you could get Hunter Biden on the phone? You don't think you can get um, any of these people on the phone? I just want to know, is, he, is this real? Uh, what about, is this your daughter? Hunter, is this your daughter? And then you tell the FBI, I'm not, I can't sign this. Absolutely. And, and the story about, becomes Liam Panetta would not sign on it. And what about the fact that from day one, no one in the Biden camp ever said, that's not my laptop. No, never. No. They never denied that it was his laptop. He says, the truth and is, I don't know. And if it wasn't his laptop... <laughs> You better believe they would have been screaming that from the mountaintop. That is not his laptop. But they never said that. So I and it's really it's almost um you know on a sort of simple level it's like why why should we trust these intelligence officials who are Ever. willing to do so little homework before they're put, willing to put their name on something? They're not really great investigators it would appear. No, they're they're political operatives. Absolutely. So what emerged yesterday from the Durham trial? Uh, what emerged yesterday was opening arguments on both sides for Dushenko. Yeah. In what way is it an extraordinary bill? Well, I mean, there was a witness who testified that basically the FBI offered a million dollars to him if he could prove the information on the dossier. And he didn't take the million dollars because he couldn't prove the information. But yet they still took it and dropped it into the case for a running presidential candidate several weeks from a presidential election. I would just 2016. say if, if, 2016, correct. If they can do that to Donald Trump or to anyone, they, they, they can drop this yeah. into the case file of any American today. I agree. This is a huge story. And also, ju- let me just remind everyone what, what we just said. This is October of 2016. This is weeks before the election. Now, also keep in mind that John Durham is not sitting behind at the bench. John Durham gets up out of his chair this is my guy, Brian Auten. I want to ask, I'm going to question him personally. So Durham did this investigate, did this cross-examination or examination himself. He took this guy through all these questions, said, yes, we offer, and as I, the analogy I used before when you and I were talking, Brian, is let's say you're a reporter and you go to your editor, you say, I've got a huge, huge story here, but I only have this one source and I'm not sure it's actually accurate. You're going to say, all right, go back, get me two sources to confirm that, three sources to nail it down. In this case, they said, we will pay you a million dollars to give us a good source, okay? And then I'm the editor. I'm going to run with it. Why would I do that? Because I have a serious bent, a serious agenda. I need this. Then he doesn't do it, and they go to the FISA court anyway and pretend that it is substantiated. So it was so amazing. Can you prove the document you handed in is real? 
So they didn't ask Christopher Steele to look at a separate document. They look at him to hand his own document. So Auckton testified. This was the readout we got from our reporters. Brian Auckton testified that he and a group of FBI agents went overseas in early October of 2021 to talk to Christopher Steele about the reports that later became known as the Steele dossier. During questioning from Durham, Auckton said that that during those meetings, the FBI offered Christopher Steele $1 million if he could corroborate allegations in the dossier, but that Steele could not do it. So the whole thing that James Comey was so confused in 2016, he goes, Mr. President-elect, I got to meet. I just got this information. It might be true. It might not be true. But I want to tell you, from that moment on, James Comey and uh, Donald Trump had a problem. Trump goes, I'm being set up. But Comey yeah, knew he couldn't exactly. prove the truth. Knew it. Knew he it. He knew yeah. it. But it's been going on for six years. Right. Why are we just finding so, out about this now? I, you know, I, I think that's on Durham, frankly. I, well, I don't know. You know, I, I think I Durham, Durham's timeline was slower than I think anybody wanted it to be. But, you know. COVID was in the middle of it, and I don't know. Only he can answer that question. But here's the other thing. So the person that they thought was going to substantiate the story that was told to Steele was Igor Danchenko, who's now on trial for lying to the FBI. And it turns out, this is the case that they're making, that the sources that he said he was getting this information from, in some cases, don't appear to have existed, or phone calls that were never made, or trips that he said he was taking to gather this information, which turned out to be for some other personal purpose. So he could say, oh, yeah, I just went here and I went there and I got all this information. But the person he was in touch with was Dolan, who was a PR guy from the Clinton campaign. Right. So when we had I mean, friendly, is, when we had friendly relations with Russia, Dolan was there when Yeltsin was friendly and we were trying to help them transition to capitalism to a degree. So Dolan stayed. His contacts went through the Putin years. And when it was time to set up Trump, he was trying to set it up. He couldn't do it. And with this guy, Deshaka, was hearing hearsay, helped put together the Steele dossier. And then the kicker, which if it was a novel, I'd go, OK, I'm going to close. I'm wasting my time. He worked for the – he was paid by the FBI. Unreal. Deshaka. So he's on trial for lying to the FBI, but while he's on pay, uh, FBI's payroll. <laughs> Insane. Meanwhile, they're saying that Carter Page, who was also on their payroll at one point, never was. He never right. was. That's why we have to investigate him. With a FISA application. That poor We're going to follow Carter Page, who happens to be a very peripheral foreign policy advisor. I think he went to one never, meeting never or something. Never met with right? Trump. Never yeah. met Trump. But he's the guy that we have to nail down here. Right. It, it, and just also think about Jim Comey sitting in that room with President Trump or then-candidate Trump and saying, Sir, I'm gonna, i got to show you this. This is pretty bad. We are, you know, this 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 is going to get printed. P- reporters have this story about you and the prostitutes and the in the hotel in Moscow. And Comey knows they can't nail it down. They right. tried to pay the guy a million dollars to nail it down, and he they couldn't. And, and they they bought it from uh, that Travesty. source uh, from BuzzFeed, and it ends up being published. And then people debate it for the next three and a half years. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, Martha, uh, Bill Hammer, could you, uh, is there if I ask Martha who's going to be on her show? Heck yes. All right. Oh, I, my I gosh. Uh, three o'clock, Martha. So let's see. Um, There's Devin Nunes. We do have Devin Nunes because I talked to you about that this morning. I said this morning when I was reading this story about, or last night when it came out from Jake Gibson, um, I mean, Devin Nunes was basically vilified 
for trying to warn President Trump that there was something going on that was trying to take him down and that it smell that it didn't smell so great about what was going on at the FBI. So we're going to talk to Devin Nunes about his reaction that to a million this dollars to Christopher Steele to verify. A million dollars him. couldn't buy a solid story from Christopher Steele, which I think is extraordinary. Um, we're also going to have um, Mark Penn and Mercedes Schlapp come on, and we're going to talk about what's going on in the Fetterman race, which I just find That's fascinating. Very, very interesting. Great piece today by Selena Zito about, you know, for, for even if you put the cognitive stuff aside for a minute, take a look at Braddock, the town that he says he saved. It, it's, it's a, a dump. mess. It's a dump. It's a dump. And uh, the fact people, that they didn't wanted, show up. They want it to be saved. He want, didn't show up as lieutenant governor. He would never show up and do his job, lived at home till he was 40. It's Bernie Sanders is his political idol. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to frack. He wants to, like, Criminals out of prison. These are all the things that get you don't get you the nomination. October twenty fifth is the date that is on the calendar for that debate. You don't think it's going to happen? By I the way, say, I didn't say that. I, Fetterman told NBC yesterday that or Friday when they yeah. did the interview that he would be there. I think it will happen. Yeah, right. I, I, I think it's got to be an irony. I think what the NBC reporter said is very interesting. When they were off camera and just in casual conversation, she noticed that he had a really hard time picking up what she was trying to communicate to him. That, yeah, that's, that's Dasha Burns. She right. did an excellent job. She was very fair, and she explained quite clearly what his situation was. I'm, I cannot wait for 3 o'clock. I cannot wait for your show from 9 to 11 tomorrow. Thank you, brother. I just can't, I just can't wait <laughs> for everything. Brian, kill Thanks, me, Chuck. Can't wait for what's next. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.